going on, everybody? And welcome to Now You've Seen It, the podcast that endeavors to fill the holes in your central media history. I am your host, Mr. Michael Wiley, saying greetings and salutations to all of you, our faithful followers and listeners. Listen, guys and gals, we have a great show lined up for you on today. And you know why I know? Because of the people that's on the show. That's right. Because we not only have a great show, we have great panelists we have a great guest so it's just great all around but here's what we're going to do because i know a lot of you may not be familiar with us and who we are and what we do what i want to do i want to go around the proverbial round table here and give our panelists and our guests a chance to introduce themselves so they can let you know who they are what current projects they may be working on besides this one is that cool I think it's cool. So look, we're going to start with um, we're going to start with Dan, and then we'll go to Matt, and then we're going to give our guest a spot. So Dan, go ahead and take it away, my friend. Hi everybody, my name is Dan. As Mike just said, I am uh, one of your panelists today, and uh, you can find me in other places on the internet anywhere that the words "supraliminal" I know it's a hard one to spell and films or entertainment can be found next to one another. I host several other podcasts, I live stream, and I produce YouTube content, and I have been watching movies voraciously since i was but a wee lad so this is re really kind of the show exactly for me i'm gonna help you fill your holes <laughs> i'm sorry again it's a terrible pun and i'm not gonna get into <laughs> yeah mike that's your fault <laughs> it's my fault it's terrible all right i'm sorry let's uh, continue with the introductions fellas all right, and I am Matt Delhauer. Uh, some may know me as the Ginger Geek, the host of the Ginger Geek podcast, uh, voiceover artist, uh, podcaster, as well as a new panelist here on Now You've Seen It. I went to school for film. I am a film fanatic. And uh, Yvonne Etniaj, Dan. <laughs> awesome. Anthony, my friend, why don't you go ahead and let people know who you are? What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Anthony Caius. My name, uh, my resume is not quite as impressive as the, the rest of the fellas, but I am the co-host of the Ham Brothers podcast, and um, I'm a chef at home and uh, an amateur film buff. I mean, I love film. I've watched everything and anything I can, except for, you know, certain movies that pass by me, and that's uh, coincidentally how I ended up on this show. And as I said earlier, my name is Mike Wiley. I am the host of the Man Up Real Talk podcast that I co-host along with my brother-in-law. Been doing it now for about three years. Um, I'm also an amateur film buff. Um, and really, I'm just a guy who just loves movies, which is how I ended up on this podcast. Um, I also have a strange affinity for Funko Pops. It's something about the little heads and the beady eyes. I don't know what it is, but I love those things, man. So um, that's pretty much who I am. And that's the cast of characters that we have for today's show. And um, today we are going to be talking about, drumroll please, Blade Runner 2049. Now, I got to ask our guest, Anthony, this question goes out to you. Prior to today's podcast, how, did you see blade runner 2049 or had you watched it before or had you watched it prior to this podcast or did you watch it only because of this podcast well i i had never seen it up until this morning when i watched it in preparation for this episode well anthony prior to this morning uh, was there any particular reason that you hadn't seen the movie oh um no not um i intended to watch it in the theater when if when it had first come out um i I just, it just never got around to it. You know, I had, there were several other films at the time that I had seen and no, this one just kind of slipped through, through my, my fingers there. Okay. Matt, what about you? Uh, I saw this opening night at a double feature with the original film as well. Really? Yes. Nice. Well, you and I have that in common. <laughs> so so you did this, you saw the double feature thing too dan yes i also saw the double feature of this um i actually left work early in order to get to the theater on time uh to see the double feature <laughs> this this was appointment view uh, i want to ask because this sounds like that you guys are avid fans of, of the of the original blade runner field is, is that um is that a correct assumption Yes. Uh, funny enough, with Dan saying he left work early, I left the first of four days of New York Comic Con to go see it uh, the the night before technically opening night, I guess. But at this point, they do opening nights at like 8 p.m. on a Thursday. So like okay. there's no such thing as a midnight movie anymore. But um, 
Which is actually great just, now that I'm in my 30s, because like I yeah. don't need to stay awake till four in the morning. Oh no, I agree so much. <laughs> <laughs> got uh, people got to work in the morning, man. Uh, yeah, no. seriously. Now, and then, uh, see I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and then uh, this past October, I actually uh, went to New York Comic Con dressed as Rick Deckard from the original film. So I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd for the Blade Runner concept. Awesome. Now I have to admit that I did not see I did not see it in its theatrical release. Um, I, I watched it uh, through a streaming service. Um, and I won't hold that, that against is, you. I, I know I appreciate that. Probably, and I guess the reason for that is is because I, I'm not as a I'm not as big as a fan um, of Blade Runner as you guys seem to be. However, I have grown to appreciate it more than I did in its original. Um, you know, I, I've grown to appreciate it more now than i did originally because the, the first blade runner came out in, in like what 82 i believe it was correct yeah, I was, yeah like around 82 83 i was seven at the time so there you go and i don't even think i don't even think um matt was born then if he's just in his 30s i, I was, was negative seven years old <laughs> you were negative <laughs> so you got so so i wasn't really into it as much although as i said later on after i, I kind of Got into it and start watching it. Oh, I watched it and and, and really and really kind of was digging the lore and, and the story behind it and everything. So I, I got more into it. But yeah, man, I didn't I didn't get to get a chance to see it at the theater, but I, I did watch it um on, on streaming services and I did enjoy it, which is why I really want to do um this podcast. So I, I tell you guys what what we'll do is we're gonna break for an ad here and then we're gonna come back. And we're going to let our fake trailer guy tell you guys more about the movie. And then we're going to get right and we're going to jump right into the conversation. Is that cool? Sounds good. All right. Okay, cool. We're going to break from that right here, kids. We'll be right back with Now You've Seen It. Hey guys, it's Andrew Van, and I'm the host of False Start Fake Sports Real Shots. And what we do is we debate over sports movies as if they were real life. So imagine ESPN's first take mixed with How Did This Get Made? And boom, you have False Start Fake Sports Real Shots. Give us a subscribe and listen anywhere you can download podcasts. Also, I have a second podcast. It's called It's Your Podcast. And that's just where I talk with people in my area, Greenville, South Carolina, or anywhere I can find anyone to talk to, and talk about just about their lives, their stories, and how do they get to where they are. And they don't necessarily have to be a celebrity or writer of any sort, just a normal everyday person talking about their life because everyone's story matters. And that's what's important to me. So that's It's Your Podcast with Andrew Van. And also, False Start, Fake Sports, Real Shots. Thanks you so much. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now all right and welcome back to now you've seen it the podcast that endeavors to fill your holes in your essential movie viewing history I'm Matt. He, I'm Mike. Actually, he's Matt, and then we also have joining us Dan, and we have Anthony joining us on today. And we are discussing the film Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Now, you look, know, Mike. Yes, sir. Speaking of identity problems, uh huh. <laughs> Go on. Oh, I'm sorry. Good job. So look, <laughs> let me Man. ask you. Guys, let me ask you guys a question because. I, I realize that there there are two groups of people when it comes to this particular subject, right? Um, when we talk about reboots and remakes, you have those people who are dead set against them, and then you have those that are okay with them. Now, although technically this isn't a reboot or a remake, it's really a follow-up. You guys being big fans or the fans that you are of the movie, what were your when you heard about the making of the movie? Were you against it? Were you for it? Were you like, yeah, let's give it a shot? Or did you just not want it to happen? Like, what were your initial thoughts about when they announced Blade Runner twenty forty nine? 
Okay. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a loaded question for somebody uh, who would honestly list Blade Runner on my top five easily going into this. Um, my reaction was, hey, Sicario didn't suck and Arrival was kind of cool. Uh, I guess this will be good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, for me, the way that I kind of went about it was I first heard about the fact that they were going to be doing a sequel to Blade Runner around the time Prometheus came out. And my thought was, oh, no, but they really screwed that up. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop sequelizing or making movies in the universe of things that I love. So I I was hesitant. But then once they said that, you know, Ridley Scott's going to produce, they're going to bring in. Um, I'm always so bad at this. Denis Villeneuve, I believe, is the Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donnie, but yes. Donnie, okay. Donnie okay. Villeneuve, yeah. Okay. Um, I thought it was Denny. And it, so I, I was like, okay. Yeah, and, and and as Dan said, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, Arrival was was pretty 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 cool. Um, I had not seen Sicario at that point, so I didn't really know much about that. But I had seen Prisoners, which I really really liked. I thought that was a very well done film. And so I figured this is a guy who seems to know his way around doing uh, worthwhile uh, sci-fi as well as very deep character drama. Mm -hmm. So I am willing to see what he brings. And if I don't like it, I still have the first movie. Cool. Anthony, what about yourself, sir? Uh, I, I was hesitant as well. Just one, because of such the, the big gap in between the original and uh, this new, the, the sequel. Uh, and then there tends to be a little bit of a loss of translation type of deal that happens when people tend to do that. Also, I never really felt that Blade Runner really needed a sequel kind of one of those movies you think you should just leave alone and not touch it but i mean here we are in the the world of fresh out of uh fresh ideas so uh and then I, as as the same thing as once i found ridley scott was um was connected and and then um denny as well uh i you know i i, I have my my faith was restored a little bit yeah I, you know i tend to fall in i, I tend to fall in that group that i don't mind the remakes and the reboots, just as long as they're good, and, you know. But the, the the unfortunate thing is, is that they they tend to to not be. Uh, I think they just did another, like for instance, this the latest um, attempt at at um, Charlie's Angels, and it's just like, okay, listen, I, I I get it. You're trying to reintroduce it to to new audiences and to and to new fans and everything, but it's just like at one at some point, it's just just stop, stop with the remakes, stop with the reboots, and you know, let's 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 just get some fresh ideas out there. But that's I, I, I was just interested to see how you guys felt about it, because I, I was it didn't matter to me, because, as I said, I wasn't really a big fan of the first one. Although I grew to I grew to like it. Um, So when they announced this, and I was like, oh, OK, cool. Another Blade Runner. Let's check it out. Let's see what it's about. So let me ask you guys a question, because after watching the movie, um, I had some questions. <laughs> there was there was some there were some questions that I had. And, and if you watched any if you watched the original Blade Runner movie, I'm sure you had questions in, in, in after that one, after watching this one. It it um stayed in that same vein where it left you asking questions. Although I think this one did a better job of answering some of the questions that it asked before it ended, though it still left me with questions and i just want to start with the let's just get it out the way let's start with the elephant in the room i'm presenting this question to you guys is deckard a replicant this is what i want to know and the reason why i think this is the question to end all questions is because when you think of like when you think of, of deckard as being being a replicant it's like like i think in, in this one they introduced the concept of um what do they call it the nexus eight right which is like a, a new model replicant that that kind of has like an extended uh, an extended lifespan it's like i thought deckard was retired from the first one or am i wrong into thinking that one so i'm confused is deckard a replicant is he human what is deckard i don't know i need some explanations uh i'm gonna jump in and uh i'm actually gonna steal a, a line that dan used when we discussed this a few days ago um, which is that depends on which version of the original movie you watched. Really? Um, yep. mm -hmm. The theatrical cut that they had of the original Blade Runner made it specifically that Deckard is a human. And okay. the story that they're telling is a human who is learning about empathy through non-human beings. While the final cut that Ridley Scott put out in 2007 was the version where he had initially built it to be that 
Deckard is slowly learning that he himself is a replicant and that the concept of memory is not enough to dictate whether or not somebody is a person or human, I should say. Um, Mm -hmm. As much as I love the final cut of the film because I feel like it is far more watchable, it does not have the god-awful voiceover that they put into the original uh, theatrical cut of the movie. Um, You can hear Harrison Ford hating his life through every bit of voiceover that they have in that movie. It's not Um, good. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. But, um... I actually, I subscribe to the theory that Deckard is a human strictly because as someone who, uh, I fancy myself a storyteller, I believe that the the more interesting story to tell is the one about humans learning lessons about being human from robots, rather than a story about the slow realization that a robot is a robot. Gotcha. Now, see, I'm on the slightly different uh, track there from you. Uh, I think that Deckard is definitely a replicant, and really? I think his design is to teach us that that doesn't matter. Is that a replicant can be human more than a human? And I think that 2049, my my read on 2049 is a lot of the heavier plot points go to further that same feeling. Okay, so Anthony, what what do you think? Is Deckard a replicant? Is he human? What is he? I I, I think I'm on the the Deckard's a human side. Okay. Um, simply based on just a lot of the facts that we get from the first and the second film, especially with um, the the models of okay. the neck, the um, the replicants, um, the Nexus Six only had a very specific lifespan built in. I think it yeah. was three or four years. Uh, could be wrong somewhere around there. Um, and then the I, I believe in in the opening text of twenty forty nine, they have uh, they, that's when they discuss the Nexus Eight which are given open-ended lifespans. Now, considering the timeline of the original movie, I think um, in the original movie, when we meet Deckard, it's mm-hmm. like 2019, I think. Was that, was, was, am I right there? Um, but so, and he's already got, he's already established on, on the force as like a decorated cop, as a decorated Blade Runner, right? Right. So, Number one, how how can he have built such a career within such a short lifespan? And then again, we meet him thirty years later in the sequel. So, and I believe that that uh, the Tyrell Corporation didn't even introduce the Nexus Eight until till towards the end of his career okay. of the the Tyrell Corporation, anyway. Okay, so now, let me, okay, let's do this before we go any further. I have to make this disclaimer. There may be some spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen the movie by now, shame <laughs> on you. <laughs> number one. And number two, you may want to avoid listening to this before you've seen it. All right. No, no, so, just, just pause the podcast, go watch the movie, and come exactly. back. Exactly. All right, so there look, you go. So so let me throw this out there to you guys. Like, what? Okay, so let's just say, okay, so, like, we know that, that Deckard has a daughter. Right, that he and and Rachel, who was a replicant, had right now. The film kind of talked about um, Terrell had you know, he had specially engineered Rachel to have the ability to reproduce, and then it was kind of like um, proposed by Wallace that Deckard may have also been created for the sole purpose to be with her. So, so it, it, it's almost like it comes down to either the science of is it more believable that Terrell figured out a way to create life between human and replicant, or was it most likely that he created, he, he figured out a way to create life between two replicants? So it's like, is he or isn't he? See, these are the questions that I have, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> the things that I love about a lot of this is that it's also, there's, there's a lot of really fun fan theory that floats around about a whole bunch of this yes. stuff because of the fact that it's, it's so closed down. Um, and again, it plays on either side of if you look at is Deckard a replicant and say, yes, that means that uh, Tyrell created replicants that could reproduce with each other. Um, was that because he was essentially trying to create a new race? Did he create Deckard and uh, Rachel to specifically be with each other? And then that plays into one of the major themes of the film, which is or... fate versus free will. 
or was he just trying to create like some really top model sex dolls? Well, and I was gonna say the <laughs> the one that I love is there's the theory of like, well, if Deckard's a human, does that mean Tyrell was building a robot that he could impregnate? Right. And like, I mean, look, man, designing and building robots, it's a lonely job, I guess. Ask yeah. Japan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't always uh, have time for the dating scene, you know what I mean? You spend a lot of time building a robot, you gotta fuck something. You got to, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like kind of like, eventually, like a, eventually you're gonna eventually fuck. Eventually it's gonna eventually. happen. I'm telling you, it's like, man, that, that, like, that. That Camaro I've been working on is looking pretty good over there. It's like eventually it's gonna happen. It, it's like there's Look, you, the uh, you don't, you uh, I was gonna say there's there's the sketch from uh, from Robot Chicken on Adult Swim where it's a scientist presenting like the most uh, sophisticated robot of all time that he has invented, and he takes questions from the audience. And the first question is, "Can you fuck it?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I think that I think the Deckard replicant human question is something that and I like how they kind of that like they never really gave a de- I don't think they ever really give a definite answer and there's always these like you said so many wonderful fan theories that that's kind of surrounding it and it's kind of and it's kind of cool to kind of debate it it's like is he isn't he you know who knows the world may never know it's just mm-hmm. like how many right. well, does it take even, to get to even, the go ahead man I, well because even like um, Matt had said that with uh, with Wallace with Wallace questioning Deckard and telling him like you were designed or if you were designed mm-hmm. to meet her and this and that. So even he is like, question, he's questioning Deckard, trying to get the answer like, you know what I mean? Right. He's trying to feel him out about whether or not he thinks he's actually, whether Deckard actually thinks he's a, he's a replicate yeah. or not. Good stuff, good stuff. He, Speak- he's just as cute as everyone else. Speaking of Wallace, since, since you mentioned Wallace, I, I had another question, right? And maybe it's just me, but how in the world did Wallace not know Deckard and Rachel Child was working for him? I mean, this guy sees and knows all, and he's like, he's basically God in his own way. And it's just like when you when you when you look at the movie as, as a whole, it's basically a race between between um, uh, Joe and uh, what's what's the uh, love that was played by uh, uh- Sylvia. Yeah, love. And they were both trying to find they were both trying to find the child of Deckard and Rachel, right? But then you later on learn that Dr. Anna had been, who had been working for Wallace for years and who was literally the one creating the dreams that were implanted into the replicants was the kid that he had been looking for. How did he not know that? I I actually have a very simple answer for this. Okay. There, and I and, and I watched the 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 scene between these two several times but uh anna Anna, i believe her name was yeah she specifically tells joe that she's subcontracted by wallace so she doesn't technically work for wallace she's subcontracted and is one of many suppliers of memories that wallace uses for his so because she was a temp he couldn't figure that out I, apparently he doesn't have all the files he's she's not direct he look man wallace has got a lot of shit going on man he's got a lot of things he's got he's got a lot of naked women replicants to feel True. around okay he's a very busy man a lot of ins a lot of outs mod <laughs> it, 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 it does seem did, like a very big like a very big short sight on wallace's part i mean there, there's there's an expression that sometimes the best place to hide something is in plain sight because they're less likely to yeah. look there and I that think, was that's my take yeah i agree with that dan uh i think one of the greatest things that they did with the character of wallace is this is a character who is built to specifically be this all-knowing all-seeing you know uh creator type who is legitimately blind and mm-hmm. because he is blind he cannot actually see the world for what it is he can only sense it through what he creates rather than what exists. So he didn't know she was there because he right. just didn't see her. It's it's the idea of, you know, she was placed somewhere where she was close enough to the people who wanted her that they never would have assumed the woman who actually designs the dreams for our robots is the child of a, a, a replicant and a human and or other replicant. That makes no sense to us. So obviously it's not right. Obviously it's not right. Wow. That's uh, 
I, I guess. I get it though. I get. I def. I definitely get that theory. Put it right in front of them. They'll never look there. And then he wouldn't have seen her anyway because he's blind. Gotcha. So speaking of Joe, because we mentioned him earlier, um, is he dead? I'm like, because like if you like in the in the in the last moments, like when 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 Deckard finally got got to meet his daughter, you know, you see him lie down on the steps, and he looked like he died. I mean, the the film certainly suggests that he um, that he's dead or retired in, in Blade Runner speak, but I mean, he is a replicant. And even if he's retired, you have to think that maybe he could be brought back if maybe a future story called for it. So is Joe dead? Is he retired? Um, did he go and get a cup of coffee after a while? What what is what do you think what is Joe's fate? I don't know. Anybody can vote, chime in. I vote Dan goes first. Yeah, Dan. Is Joe dead? Everyone's dead. <laughs> no, honestly. Honestly. I think no, no, listen, I think the story the story makes more sense if we get a heartwarming reunion and then everyone dies, and then we get closure that we thought we were going to have at the end of Blade Runner. We get a better maybe a better world because the only people who know are they really know get to die and move. I know that's a bit of an out there thought that's not exactly touched on everything, but yeah. I like the idea that we get to close out the universe here. But is it really closed out, though? No, it's never actually closed, because it's a movie. That's the problem. They legitimately (laughs) set up the idea of a revolution of replicants in case they want to make a third one. Exactly. And they set up up a... Well, well, yeah, they they planted that seed with this, like, resistance that they have. That's some resistance army that they're building, but never mentions again. It's mentioned one time. This is why I love you guys, because I was just about to ask that question, like... Like really, like what's up with the with the with the replicate resistance? It was like you know, because he was and just like you said, he was kind of confronted by um, what's 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 her name, Mariette, and she was working for um, I guess what what was her leader name, Frisia or something like that, and she basically yeah. uh, want she basically wanted what what Wildus wanted, which was for the replicants to be able to reproduce, just but, for different reason. Yeah, exactly. But she also wanted them to be free, right? And so the implication there is that a larger replicant uprising is going. It was like in the works, but it kind of set it up, and then it was just like, nah, never mind. They're good. That's psych. <laughs> it was like, oh, replicant uprising, and no, no, sorry. What I think I actually really like about the fact that they they kind of build this idea of the replicant uprising, and then it just sort of disappears, is because this movie is Joe's story. This is about him and his right. choices. We're not going to follow the wider story of other replicants who want to rise up against the humans that oppress them. Right. It was he all his life lived a he all he lived a life where he was literally told what to do, where to go, and he was a an attack dog on a leash for the police and when he finally thought that he could find a place that he could craft his own existence and make his own choices he's approached and told no you should you should just be an attack dog that's on the leash of the replicants rather than the humans and he finally decides i think i'd rather just stop being a killer it's which also ties in i think to uh the bigger idea of you know they use the word retire Right. When they get rid of replicants and you, you have the question of, and I think, uh, I think Ryan Gosling plays every part of the tortured soul, very, very tortured soul, very, 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 um, in that, you know, it's like humanity, right? We can choose what does choosing to retire mean in the context of Blade Runner when retiring replicant is done at the end of a gun. Right. Yeah. They, they, because replicants have always been considered a workforce rather than a people, they don't slaves. die. They just, quote, stop working. Yeah. I mean, you don't, to be fair, in the logic of the universe, you don't, you know, you don't let your tractor go off and enjoy life when it breaks. You replace it and you get rid of it. And, you know, the fact that replicants were conceived as a slave race that didn't you know, here, you can do the thing that's dangerous enough that humans won't do it, 
and we're going to make you look like a human because just robots keeps people out too. Right. And we're going to give you, you know, emotional thought because dealing with cold robots makes people skeeved out too. And, you know, then you get like any great idea, right? You get the perversion of that all the way down to Ander Wallace, who now does want a fully, instead of just a race of robots that do work for them, he wants a fully subservient, better than human. And yeah, and he's at a point where he feels that humanity should no longer have to be creating replicants. If we can get replicants to create themselves, right. then that's all profit with no cost. Yeah, it's it's the extremely dark implications of a world, you know, much like our own, only several centuries removed from the actual human slave trade, uh, proving that the only thing we learned from the human slave trade was that we probably shouldn't do it to so did joe retire so do you did joe retire himself at the end is did he I, just did he just decide to say you know what i'm done i i did what i thought was right you know i i, I reunited decker with his with his daughter um i'm good i, I just don't want to do this anymore i don't think that he technically like offed himself Mm-hmm. I think it's more along the lines of he he took a beating yeah, he did. while taking on love in, in trying to save and some stabbings. Yes, yeah. and some stabbings. He got <laughs> shot. Some he was drowned. Um, and he it, it, by the end, you know, as we saw in the the opening when he's retiring Sapper Morton. Yeah, it's a thing where the only thing that can honestly put down a replicant without you know say a gun is another replicant. And this was the time where he finally got bested, but he was just good enough to win, but not to survive. So I'm actually going to take something you said there, and I'm going to pull everybody back to go. I know, I know. When we were talking about whether or not Deckard's a replicant, um, you just said that only a replicant can put down a replicant. And um, who uh, is just going to go out there and uh, ask the question, who retired Roy? (laughs) See, 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 I knew. (laughs) See what he's doing? I I knew. But see, now let me do this, because I can just as easily rebut that and say like with the next question because if you think about like i was going to ask the significance about what does um sixteen twenty one mean because i had a question about that right if you notice that there are numbers and, and we know that those numbers were written on the tree um at sapper's farm where it was right next to where rachel was buried and it was on the horse that um that Kay had or in the memory that he had when he was a child it was it was etched on his horse. Now, if that represented the day that Rachel died, or if it represented the day that Anna was born, you know, that's a very human thing to remember, wouldn't you say? Agreed. I mean, but know, also more human than human. That's their motto. I was gonna say <laughs> the problem that, that that stems from that is it's also playing on the idea of throughout the entire first movie, you had um you had replicants who were holding on to photographs. True. Because these were moments in time they could go back and look at and remember. And this but this what, was a sentimentality that you would think only a human would have. But wasn't but wasn't that just based on the memories that were programmed for them though? Uh right. I the I don't believe the, the Nexus that came back to Earth in the first one had implanted memories. Okay. Rachel was a prototype that was built with implanted memories in order to try and quell an uprising. If you gotcha. can convince them they're human they're not going to then rebel. They think they're human. Okay. Whereas Roy and the rest of them were all replicants that knew they were replicants, that knew they only lived for four years. And that was why they came back, was because they were demanding that they get reprogrammed to live longer. Um, so- which, I will say, Dan, uh, I think technically Tyrell retired Roy because of his uh, lifespan. <laughs> oh, so 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 he was at the end of his lifespan and... I mean, we can see during the fight, and again, we're not really here to talk about Blade Runner, but you have to talk about Blade Runner 39. We can see toward the end of that fight that he is falling apart. Oh, yeah. And, and so, I know, you know, having to stab himself in the hand to be able to... Yeah, and I know one of the theories that a lot of people have about the original Blade Runner to say that Deckard is a, a replicant is he gets the shit knocked out of him by, like, Dude. three different replicants <laughs> and double <knocked> him. <laughs> So, here's another, here's another question. Right, and this one isn't as as um, thought provoking as the other, as the other ones. But how in the world did they bring back Rachel for twenty nineteen? Like, 
I think I was one of the biggest surprises is when Wild produced like a almost like I mean she was like a near perfect uh reproduction of, of Rachel, right? This movie was filmed in nineteen eighty-two and the 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 and and the, the woman that played Rachel was which was um Sean Young, she looked almost just like her from the old movies. And I know they have technology and stuff they can do it. There was rumors that she did some secret scenes and stuff, but I mean, man, she was spot on from the from from how she looked in 1982. I was that was something that just kind of struck me because you see CGI characters or when they kind of uh, like when you see Will Smith and Gemini Man, that that's like that's really really good. But then you have like some kind of creepy looking ones, like um like if you ever watched The Englishman with um, De Niro and Pesci, and you see them as their younger selves, they look like CGI characters. But this this version of Rachel that they had in this movie, I was really surprised and shocked at how well and how close she looked to the 1982 Rachel. I believe the way that they went about it is very similar to the way that they did it for a lot of the Marvel films. Okay. Is the actual... There is a person on set who was a body double that they got that was close enough to looking like Sean Young did in 1982. Okay. Most of the CGI is only just the face. Wow. And it, it's essentially face mapping to try and place Sean Young's face over another person in order to give that blended reality of CGI and practical so that it's not like... I mean, granted, yeah, in The Irishman, they had, you know, De Niro and Pesci and everybody was on set, but the technology they were using was not the same because they needed them. They, it's it's not like the the uh, the dot tracking technology that like Marvel uses. It's kind of like the really weird nightmare inducing technology of cats. <laughs> Where it's like, they're not doing most Terrible de-aging. They're just doing like, oh, we're going to film people, and then we're going to CGI, like, rotoscope over those people. And it's like, it just looks terrible. It, it's, 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 it's very creepy. Because when I was watching The Englishman, I was like, Jesus, it's like, am I playing a game? Am I watching a movie? It just looked really weird. But she looked, she, but this, um, she looked really good. This Rachel looked really, really good. I mean, it was just, um. It was really spot on, and I was really, really, really surprised by that. So I, I think I think a lot of it has to do with how much screen time you're spending with this, with that CGI, and yeah. and then of course lighting and camera angles and all that sort of things are gonna play are gonna play a, a role as well. But I think especially because there's, you only have so much time with her on screen versus where I think in the Irishman, I haven't seen the, the Irishman yet, but I do know. But they spend a lot of time with these de-aged versions of the characters. You have more time in your head to process that this isn't who this person True. is. You like I I just saw this person two days ago <laughs> on you know whatever, right. and that's not what they look like. You know that could have been it. That, so that, the other like the other theory. thing they the other thing they did <sighs> for it um, was they actually brought in Sean Young for uh, one day. And both Lauren Pita, who played the physicality of Rachel, and she were put in uh, mocap and recited the lines alongside one another. And the digital effects artists took a composite of that and built the overlay that laid over Lauren Pita's physical. In addition to the fact that she was coached by Sean Young separately from that to mimic her movements, her head tilt, and her patterns of and so what you have is really the culmination of the uh, the Marvel aging, de-aging tech, the uh, Star Wars, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Rogue One, the, yeah. uh, the Princess oh, yeah. Leia, uh, Moff Tarkin tech, and the um, horrid CGI that started in Greenland and ended oh. with cats. Oh. Um, and so they took all of that. And because of the punch, and I, I really, I think that you're exactly correct as well. The lighting has a lot to do with it. It's a very dynamically lit scene with a yeah. lot of shadows and shadows can hide. A uh, as proved in Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the other thing, honestly, to, to break away from, from this moment, but to also talk about something that I think is probably one of the technically most mind blowing things from this movie is the scene when Joy 
orders Mariette, the uh, uh, escort, to visit Joe at his apartment so the two of them can finally oh, have sex. Yeah. Yes. The way that they wound up doing that scene where they essentially have Joy, like, um, process herself to follow Mariette's movements so that it's, he can feel like he's interacting with Joy was yeah. they legitimately had both actresses practice choreography for the movements of the scene so that they would film it once with one of them, they'd film it again in the exact same angles with the other one, and they overlaid both of those shots together in order to uh, then build this one shot of the two of them working as, as in tandem. That's dedication. Yeah. <laughs> that's It's one of the things that I love about this movie is there are so many easier crappier ways that they could have done effects in this movie that they just yeah. did not do okay but no i i see that little cool and see i thought the scene with joy walking out onto the rooftop and the rain was cool you know i was like oh wow that's so cool yeah but you know <laughs> the bit where that, she freezes because he gets well, a phone call that, yeah i love that <laughs> I like okay, but but also that that scene as well as the 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 lovemaking scene with with uh, with Mariette raises questions too because okay, I thought that the um, joy is the whole point of her bringing Mariette in and later is that she physically can't touch Joe right, but yet right. when she's on the rooftop, the 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 raindrops are landing on her skin, hmm. right, See, and then also when. How does she contact Marriott to begin with? Because uh, from all AI, the other so... interactions, right? But all the other times that we've shown that we've seen her is that uh, Joe has to activate the the emanator in order for her to boot up or, or you know wake up, if you will. What I always but, thought it was is I thought sorry, the scene when she's on the the uh, the balcony is I always read it as being not that the rain is actually landing on her and she's taking a corporeal form. I read it as the AI and the technology is essentially mapping the area around her right. and then right. changing her appearance to match her surrounding. It's why she's now in there the raincoat and now she's being rained on. Wow. Um, I also figured it's, it's almost like she's essentially an updated version of Siri. So it's right. just... Siri ordered me right. a prostitute without me asking. But not, not only that, but then they remember the scene earlier when he was um when he was talking to when he was talking to 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 Madam, and after that conversation when he was uh when he was in the library looking at the microfiche, and she came out and she had mentioned something she had mentioned something about her and he was like you were listening in on on the conversation and she was like maybe so she can it seemed like All she right. can do things on her own. And so I'm almost certain that her calling up Mary, I was like, yo, you know, won't you come through for my boy? And, you know, and he didn't have no, and he, and he had no idea. He's at, he's at a rough day. We got it. The other thing about Joy that I think is probably one of my favorite things about this character and the creation of her for the movie is she, you know, they ultimately tell you at one point, the entire purpose of Joy is that she learns and reacts and becomes the person that her user wants her to be. So right. this version of Joy is the Joy that is specifically catering to Joe and his personality and his wants and needs. Whereas when we're walking through the rain later on and he comes across the like 15 foot digital billboard of a naked Joy who's essentially <laughs> yes. just, you know, no. porn. That's another version she could be. It's all over the place because this is technology catching up to a point where it is now learning for itself in order to be more subservient. I like that. She's a she's kind of an updated, you know, by a different manufacturer, uh, Pris, the pleasure from the original. In the, once again, as we discussed, in the future, everyone just wants to fuck a robot. Yeah, and much. in this case, you get the personal assistant. AI non-physical version that can obviously scale. The ad can scale to uh, mammoth size if you're into the fifty. <laughs> um, but you also get you get a learning AI, right? Because obviously we live in a world where uh, non-human call them being joy model physicality. Non-human can learn, right? You have the AI who are learning who are capable. so you know joy again. Be the partner that you and one. 
And if what he really needed was physical connection, then her, uh, pardon me, task would be to do that. Plus, I think she, grand Blade Runner tradition of can a non-human thing actually love, has to answer that question, right? You know, is she capable of love? This is why... I love movies like this because it's 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 so many questions. It's like I mean, I'm I'm telling you, like the first ten minutes of me watching, I was just like, "Why is Batista a farmer? Why is his glasses so small?" It was just like so many questions I had, you know, watching this movie, man. And, and I love this. So so here, here's the here's the big question, and I, I'm asked this, and then we're gonna go into another ad, and then we're gonna go into our segment. Um, do you guys think? that it lived up to to the hype of the original of oh I want to say the hype but do you think it lived up to the do you think it lived up to the Blade Runner name well I'll put it this way when I was asked a few weeks ago to rank my films of the decade I put mm-hmm. this at number 1 wow <laughs> and I saw a lot of movies in the tens and teens <laughs> and I I claimed uh 2049 nice Anthony what do you think do you think, I, I don't you know. think it lived up I, I, it's I don't know about living up to hype. I mean, at least for me, because again, as I said, I wasn't incredibly motivated to see this movie when it came out simply because of my hesitations revolving around it. Um, But in terms of surprising me as in how good it actually was, then absolutely. Okay. I was blown away by the cinematography, especially the cinematography, yes. the um the the music, the the score behind everything was just phenomenal. Um and and it it is it's it was a little slow, like it was a little bit a little dragging on at some points, but other than that, like I definitely this thing definitely exceeded any and all expectations that I had, especially considering that I had heard almost nothing but negative things about this movie beforehand. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people, um, you know, but I think a lot of, I think a lot of those just come from people that want bright and shiny and simple explanation in front of their face. And when people don't get that, they tend to just shit on a movie and because they can't grasp what's happening, they think that makes that a poor movie. Yeah. Dan, what do you think, man? Did it uh, did it live up to your expectation? Uh, yes, yes, it did. Um, when I saw it the first night, when I saw it with a double feature with the first film, I remember the first film ending and thinking to myself, you know, that is absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. I I can't wait to see what it is they do with it. I hope it goes well. And when twenty forty nine ended, one of the first questions I asked myself was, "Holy crap, did I like that more than the original?" Yes, wow. I walked out of the theater asking exactly the same question. I was like, I walked out and I was like, I, I don't want to admit. I called my best friend who we were, uh, I was in a different state at the time. I was like, I don't want to say this out loud, but I think that was better than Blade Runner. And I think it honestly, it is in my opinion. I think I agree with Dan that this is definitely one, if not my top favorite movie of the past decade. I think everything about this movie was finding a way to take something that was done very well previously, and instead of trying to recreate it, instead of trying to build on the nostalgia of it, it decided to instead create everything of its own that moves forward from where the other one left off. And I I Um, think that's... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, the thing that I love to bring up to people when I discuss this movie is... When comparing between the two movies, Blade Runner is a movie that asks the question of what does it mean to be human? But 2049 asked the question of what does it mean to have a soul? And that's like, that was what blew my mind. Was that it was like, it took what I always thought was like, oh, maybe one of the most philosophical questions of film. It was like, yeah, how about this one, jackass? <laughs> you, know what, you know what's funny? When you mentioned that, like when earlier in the earlier in the movie when he was talking to madam and she was telling him listen you know what i need you to find whatever information you can find get rid of it get rid of the kid whatever and kate was like i've never uh i never retired um he was like he was like he was like i never retired anybody you know with a soul before and she was just like well you know what's the difference and uh, and and so he was just like you know whatever and then she and then before he left she said something to the extent where she was like, you know what? You got along fine with that one. 
And he was like, without what? And she was like, a soul. And he stood there for a few seconds. And it was almost as if, like, he was like, you bastard. You know, and it was just, it was so weird. The thing I think, I you bitch. Right, it is, but, it but it was just like, I think that actually kind of hit him, like, when she said that. It, it, absolutely. And I, I do point to that specific exchange as probably being one of the greatest moments from this movie that points to this question, is that she comments on the idea that Kay doesn't have a soul yeah. because he's a replicant, but Kay's the one who is hesitant of killing somebody that in his mind does have a soul. Exactly. Before, while, while his boss, who is a human, gives zero shits about it. Yeah. It's, like, it's not fucking different. You just shoot him. It's right. Like, but I've been trained to believe that it is different my whole life. Right, because he was like, I've never killed anything that's been, he's like, I've never killed anyone that's been born. And that's when she was like, well, what's the difference? He was like, because, well, to be born is to have a soul. She was like, yeah, whatever, man, just kill it, basically. But and at the same time, beginning of him recognizing that, like, this whole concept of there being a difference is bullshit he's been fed for years. Yeah, like, what, what, is, what is a soul? And does it, you know, does anything, does anything matter? Yes, it all matters is I think the other thing too, is just like, you know, it, she's like, just, just do, do what I tell you to do. Basically be a drone, right. be what replicants are designed to be. And it's very like, now again, we're showing in stark contrast exactly that, right? The human in the equation right. doesn't care because to her, an amazing, amazing performance from Robin Wright. Oh my um, God. Yeah. The in a year where she delivered some amazing performances, because that was the same year that Wonder Woman out too. Right, um, right. Amazing performance from her in a role that's like what everyone has known or seen or we've seen on the news. A human being is like that, right? It's all about the ends. It's all very Machiavelli, and you just you do the thing you have to do because you. Have, and you know, is that human? Yeah, but it's not the human that Blade Runner asked us about, right? Blade Runner asked us about humans with a soul and, you know, our humans are good and better. And this one showed us that, no, maybe we aren't. Yeah. This, the journey of this movie is ultimately one of someone who is told that they were never created to have more than one purpose, realizing that the meaning of life is to create your own meaning in life. I, I loved it, man. I, I was, um, as someone who, who, when I initially watched the first one, thought it was a complete slog to get through and then i had to watch it again it was like okay i kind of get it now you know after watching this one i was uh, i was pleasantly surprised um with how much i enjoyed it and how easy it was to follow um <laughs> because i was like oh my god i'm watching this movie i'm like i just don't want to come out of this movie with more questions than answers and although i did have some questions um the major questions were answered in, in, in t to me, and um, I just thought it, I just thought it was a, a good job, a great job all around by everybody. Goslin was excellent. I, Jared Leto was good. Um, you know, it was awesome to see Harrison Ford. Everyone in this movie was um, was was just spot on, man. And I, and I I um, I, thir I thoroughly enjoyed it. So look, let's do this. We're gonna take a quick break. And um, then when we come back, we're gonna do um, we're gonna do. There's no dumb questions. And then from there, we'll go ahead and um, and give our rates for the movie, and uh, we'll close shop. How is that okay with everybody? We good? Works for That's me. Good? All right, cool. All right, guys and gals, we'll be right back, and uh, let's take this quick break, and we'll be back with now you've seen it. Have you ever been reading through a sack of comics and thought maybe I should see what the Sarkham Asylum game is all about? Or been playing Marvel vs. Capcom and felt like you were at a real disadvantage since you didn't know who half the characters were. Well, Play Comics is the show for you. I'm Chris, and each episode we take a look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. So whether you know the comics and want to know how all these games work, or you know the games and want to find out where all this craziness came from, go check out Play Comics at playcomics.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And welcome back to Now You've Seen It with your host, Mr. Mike Wiley. Also joining me is Matt Dan and our special guest, Mr. Anthony Kayez. Look, guys, this is the section where um, there's no judgment. There's no no judgment. We, we Look, uh, we're, we're going to give you the opportunity. If you have any, in, in, any questions that you may have wanted to ask pertaining to Blade Runner that you may have been ashamed to ask, this is your time to do it. This is the segment that we like to call 
no dumb questions. So I'm putting it out there. Whatever questions that you may have about the movie, let it fly, and let's see if we can get some answers for it. Uh, Actually, I'll... I had a question. Oh, wait, yeah, you go. Then I'll go, yeah. Yeah. Um. Why is it that they never explained exactly how they got the replicants to have babies? Like, because that played like a big part of the movie, but it was like the science of it was never explained. Like, how did they create a uterus? <laughs> I think. I, <laughs> I mean, you got me, man. Because yeah, how, how did they do that? I can only. I can uh, really only science. answer. Yeah, I was gonna say I can really only answer from like a screenwriting point of view rather than like in the universe. But I mean, I guess part of it is is that the a big a big part of the 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 mystery of it is that this is the one thing that Tyrell figured out that Wallace can't. Um, and that's why he's so adamant about getting it. Um, but away from that, I guess it's just from a screenwriting writing point of view, there's, we don't really know a way to make robots have babies. So we, we can't possibly explain it. And if you were just going to turn it into, I don't know, man, um, nanobots, you'd be like, fucking really <laughs> boo done with 2049. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then my second question is, well, see, I lo- is that once the Republicans started having babies, or once they created, like, once the if, if the if if they have a uterus, is like is always still around at this time? Did they have like replicant sanitary napkins for the for the replicants? It's just like, <laughs> where does this lead? I'm confused, and I'm like, no one has answers for me. I'd like to, I like to think you would. In, I'd like to think you'd be able to engineer that so that you don't have to deal with that. I mean, at least as a favor to your female uh, replicants. I don't know. True, I'm... but I guess that means you're now building sex robots that literally will always get pregnant. Right. <laughs> See, the, these are... but you know what? You know what? I'm not going to blame the robots here. Wrap your shit up, guys. <laughs> Right. Is a robot vasectomy reversible? <laughs> what? I think it's probably just flipping a switch, man. <laughs> it's all about ones and zeros, bro. All about the one. All right. Oh, so, so all I, right, I got dumb. Oh, okay. please, Dan. Please. I I have a it, this this is a question. This is a question I walked into two years ago. It's a question that I have asked several times and been met with a "Why do you care? Why does it matter?" Is Anna? The doctor, the child, also capable of reproducing. Hmm. That, wow. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what hath Tyrell wrought? Do we have a new race of super replicants who are capable of creating themselves? Or don't we? And why the fuck does no one seem to care about that? I think from what I was gathering from Anna's situation, I think her being like a half human, half replicant, in my opinion, um, actually made her weaker than anybody else i always read the room that she's crafting the dreams and memories in almost being like a hermetically sealed bubble that like she can't leave it or she'll die because she's allergic to all of it wow so she 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 was in the shallow end of the gene pool apparently yeah Yeah, because they they said something about like when he's first looking up those um looking up all the dna files that there was that she can't she had some kind of disease or something that killed the other one you know what i mean so they there's definitely some kind of defect that's happening when you go uh cross well uh the, species i was is replica would replicants be considered the, a the disease they claimed killed the other one that was their way of hiding her was that mm. they they mm. wrote in her her genetic records that she was dead Right. And the one that survived was them faking that with Kay. And that's that was the reason why Kay believed he was the child. Is they said, oh, there was a boy and there was a girl, and the girl died, and the boy didn't. But the girl didn't right. die. They just took her off the grid. Well, now that you mention that, I, who put Anna's memory into Kay's head? Was that, did, I, did I miss that? Yeah, it's Anna. Oh, her, she does the memory. She does her. all the memories. Yeah, because so she, she. So she did that. Okay. Yeah, she makes a comment about the best memories have a bit of truth in them, and she makes the best memories because she's building them from her own experiences. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. It's like every every lie has a bit of truth. No, every exactly. memory is better with truth. It's like in uh, you know, to borrow dystopian science fiction, it's like in the Matrix, right, where they say that they made the Utopia Matrix and rejected it. 
because it doesn't feel true. Interesting. Well, maybe that wasn't such a dumb question after all. No, I, I think so. Okay. It was Any the best other... one I had that hadn't been answered. Uh, now, if you guys want a dumb question, yes. Here we go. <laughs> of the defunct corporations that apparently survived in the Blade Runner timeline, which do you wish still existed now? Pan Am, JVC Electronics, or Atari? <laughs> JVC all the way, man. Look, yeah. You have- yeah, they have JBC, yep. and not only JBC, but they should have like just a big dumb stupid rack system. Even in 2049, <laughs> I'm talking like speakers and like dumb 20 foot speakers, like the whole nine, man. See, I like to, I like to think that JBC crafts those uh, those crystal balls that they keep all of their data saved on. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's Memorex. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> is it real future data or is it memorex? <laughs> I'm gonna buck trend and say uh, Snap Atari. Nice. Really? Yeah. Snap Pick Atari. The the Atari oh, wow. 36 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, the Commodore Millennial is like really. That's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Good stuff, Anthony. Any questions, sir? Um, I one of the ones that really just sticks out in my head is like, is the plastic bag full of goop? Is that the most effective way to deliver a replicate to Wallace to have him inspect it? Like, it seems messy and unnecessary. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure who who thought that. Where is that coming from? Is that feeding her in from? The factory, right, I don't, right. I don't know. Because it wasn't connected I don't know what's to going anything. On like, that. did they grow her in the bag? Um, did they just yeah, put her in the bag? It, like, like was that like? Did they just put her in the bag? Like, yeah. A do they, do they cover just her? Bring her to Wallace. Is right. like, here's your sandwich. Yeah, like, yeah, like you, you, cut, you cover her in the goo, put her in the bag, and then vacuum sealer. <laughs> is it like for freshness? <laughs> oh, man. I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get what, what if that's just what that's kink. what's going on. What if what? What if that's just his kink, man? Like, yeah, it's, like that's not how they deliver them. It's just like he loves his women vacuum sealed he in loves bags. Women vacuum sealed in ambiotic blue. Like, hey, bring and covered in goop. There you go. Hermetically sealed for freshness. <laughs> so going going on the idea of, of uh, Wallace's technology, why is having like an iridescent code inside the eye the best way to try and identify a replicant? Because now it means that if you you have to get in so close right. to a replicant and somehow either trick them or get them to voluntarily look up and to the left in yeah, order to try that and seems, yeah that seems so like specific and I, and I like it's just I guess like, you couldn't just tattoo the neck it's yeah it's something where it's like I guess you know if if it's on the skin they can cover it or they can tattoo over it maybe it's something but it's just like. I don't know, man. Have RFI chips on them that they can't get out of them. Hey, man. Something like that. If you had James Hong circa 1982 be the master of making eyes, you want to give James Hong screen time. So you make your universe universe even 35 years later have to involve the eyes. Well, yes. The eyes are are a major motif. (laughs) The eyes are. Yeah. But just, I love how for this one, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I definitely killed him. Prove it. Here's a bag with an eye in it. Here's a bag with an eye. Motherfucker, <laughs> you could have gotten that I mean, It's anybody. easy to carry around. Like It's <laughs> yeah, not like it's just true. like, oh, you know, I had to bring... They they etched the serial number on his spine, so here's his whole torso. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say, they had they had the serial number on, on the, the pelvis bone of Rachel. And right. I'm trying to remember, in the, in the book of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, they had to do spinal taps mm-hmm. in order to prove that it's a, a replicant. So it was like, yeah, so you shoot the guy, and then we're going to have to go through a lengthy procedure to understand that, oh, yeah, crap, that was a human. I guess. <laughs> Whoops. I'm thinking, like, just just tattoo the foot, man. Be done. Just like Toy Story. Just write Andy on his foot right and be done with it. <laughs> Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> just write Wallace. There you go. It's done. <laughs> He's a replicant. Get it over with. Oh, my God. So, look, um, let's do this. Because I, I, I think from the general sense, I think the general sense is, I, I think what I, I know it's going to be because um, Universal, I believe that we all enjoyed the movie. 
So let's go ahead and uh, let's wrap it up and let's rate the movie. So the way we're going to do it, Anthony, is we're going to do it on a scale of one to ten, but we're just going to do it in a dollar amount. One dollar being the least you would pay, ten dollars being the most that you would pay on this movie. As if you were buying a ticket to see it. As if you were buying a ticket to see it. Exactly. So if I was to ask you guys, just going to go around and and give me your dollar amount that you would pay for the ticket from $1 to $10. Matt, we're going to start with you. How much would you pay to see Blade Runner 2049? $10 movie, baby. $10 movie. I figured that. (laughs) Dan, what about you, sir? Well, I paid $7.50 to see it when I saw it in the theater on opening night because I was living in Oklahoma and film prices are an absolute steal out there, but I'd pay 10 bucks to see it now. All right. Anthony, what about you, my friend? Um, I, I'd have to I'd have to say about eight fifty. I uh I mean again I love I love the movie and I had but I, of course I did have some issues with it, but I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna pay eight dollars and fifty cents. I'll I'll carry around that extra fifty cents with me in my pocket. <laughs> solid, solid choice. Get yourself solid. a gumball for enjoying during exactly, the movie. Yeah, man. yeah, exactly. I was going to say that to enjoy while I was going to say the same thing. I, I would definitely pay eight bucks for it because of the price of, of of popcorn and other things, man. I need some I need some change though so I can get me a drink because this movie was lengthy. It was like two. It was like almost yes. three hours. You get that drink, but do not crack that open until halfway through. Otherwise, you are going to the bathroom three <laughs> times, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> this is true this is so true so look if we average out our scores it would uh let's see here what would we get let's do a quick average right here uh it'll be a good movie yeah so uh there you go uh, i think i think we uh we all liked it and um if you haven't seen it it is highly highly recommended that you see it if you're a fan of the first one Please, please don't be that guy and say, oh, they don't need to make another one. Oh, why did they do it? Watch the movie. And not nine and a quarter, su- by the way. Not right. You, you may be surprised to learn that you actually like it. Who knows? So look, man, I, Anthony, I appreciate you coming through. I'm glad we finally got uh glad finally glad we got you on, man. Uh we had a good time and I hope you enjoyed it, my friend. I did. I, I had a great time. This is I again. I, I mentioned this to Sean earlier. I love the concept. It's an amazing concept. Grabbing people that have never seen a movie before and forcing them to talk, talk about it. I I love it. I'm looking forward to more episodes from you guys. And uh, no I, problem, I can't man. thank we you enough for involving on. Me. Matt, Dan, it's been an honor, my friends. I appreciate you guys. Mike, thank you for uh, leading us through this terribly dystopian world. <laughs> No problem. Gentlemen, it's been an honor and a privilege. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So look, on behalf of myself and the fellas here on this podcast, we want to say thank you guys for joining us. And listen, if you like what you heard, spread the word. Tell people that you know about the Now You've Seen It podcast. Let them know that they can subscribe and rate and review us. You can also email us at oraclepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash now you've seen it. You can check out this and other wonderful podcasts at oraclepodcast.com. Um, our theme music is performed by Eric Hunt. Check him out. He does good work. Um, look, we, we appreciate you guys. We thank you um, to our broadcasting partners at Age of Radio and Galactic Netcast. You can also find out more about them at ageofradio.org and gncast.com. That is a wrap, fellas. And so until the next show, and we appreciate you guys. Thanks for hanging out and um, peace. And that's a wrap. Now You've Seen It is a production of Oracle Media Productions in association with Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. For more great podcasts, visit oraclepodcasts.com, ageofradio.org, and gncasts.com.